I just want to speak this morning uh, about some stuff, and uh, I just want to start with a reading from uh, John 10. So uh, Jesus says this. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will be able to come in and go out. They will find everything they need. A thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you life, life that is full, life that is good. I'll pray. Father, we thank you, God, that nothing there has changed, that you come to give us life. You come to give us a great life. Uh, and uh, we just love that about you. We, we love the fact that you want us to be better tomorrow than today, that you journey with us through everything. And, and uh, so we just uh, commit the service. We pray as we uh, spend the next few moments thinking about that you, that you would talk to us and uh, help us to understand your word in a better way at the end of it. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I just want to speak today about a topic called the never-ending story. The never-ending story. And, and I want to talk about this. Uh, one of the reasons is there's been quite a bit of uh, media talk, uh, uh, people sort of from church denominations and whatnot, speaking about a number of issues and it's been picked up very negatively in the press and that and at times one thing I'm very conscious of is at times the church can appear to be more of a hate club than a love club and I think that's a real tragic situation because we're actually called to be the light of the world not not the darkness of the world and when we start becoming uh allowing voices to speak in the nation and that that are so negative and seem so uh, hurtful in that, it can often twist the way people who are unchurched actually think church is meant to be or the way that God actually thinks about people. And I, I certainly, before I came to Christ, my picture of God was basically an old man in heaven with a rod who would beat you. Um, you couldn't be more more further from the truth. So I want to preach about um, this morning, just speak about the never-ending story. And uh, I've got a nice big chunky piece of uh, scripture to start us off. But one of the things I love in life is watching lives get transformed. It started with my own. I've been able to watch my own since I was 15 years old, uh, come from a messy background, an unchurched background, and, and God start to work in a day-by-day -day relationship with me, putting people around me who would love me and encourage me, and, and watching other people come to faith, come to God, who are from all kinds of backgrounds, and watching things get tidied up in their lives, watching things that are messy get tidied up, and watching the fact that they have uh, terrible self-esteem, that get mended and, and them start to actually have, look about them, you know, look in the mirror and actually like the person they see. So often we, we can be people that look in the mirror and we don't actually like the person that's looking back at us. But, but God has a way of getting into our lives and changing that for the better. So I, I want to just um, kind of talk about some stuff around that. So uh, I'm going to start with Luke chapter 8 and... Uh, this is a very well-known piece of scripture. Uh, and so it's going to be a couple of stories rolled into one. I'm going to spend most of the time on one story in particular, uh, but I'm going to 
grab the other side of the stories because it's, I just want to highlight that this was not a one-off scenario for Jesus. It was just part of Jesus' normal operating system. Uh, and so it was just another day at the office for the way he dealt with people, which was in a loving way. So uh, Luke 8 says, so Jesus got uh, into the boat. This is uh, verse uh, 37. Jesus got in, uh, back into the boat, uh, into the boat to go back to Galilee. The man who had been healed begged him to go with him, but Jesus said, no, go back home and tell the people what God has done for you. So the people went all, uh, the man went all over town telling what Jesus had done for him. When Jesus went back to Galilee, the people wait, uh, welcomed him. Everyone was waiting for him. The man, a man called Jairus came to him. He was a leader of a synagogue. He had only one daughter. She was 12 years old and she was dying. So Jairus bowed down at the feet of Jesus and begged him to come to his house. While Jesus was going to Jairus' house, the people crowded all around him. A woman who was there, uh, who had been bleeding for 12 years, uh, she had been bleeding for 12 years. She had spent all her money on doctors, but none were able to heal her. The woman came behind Jesus and touched the bottom of his coat. At that moment, her bleeding stopped. And then Jesus said, who touched me? They all said to him, uh, none had touched him. And Peter said, Master, there are people all around you pushing up against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I felt power go out from me. When the woman saw that she could no longer hide, she came forward shaking. She bowed down before Jesus. While everyone listened, she told him why she had touched him. Then, he, uh, then she said that she was healed immediately. Uh, when she touched him, Jesus said to her, my daughter, you are made well because you believed in God. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house uh, to the synagogue leader, that's Jairus, and said, your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus heard and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe your daughter will be well. Jesus went to the house he let only Peter, John, and James, and the girl's father and mother go inside. Everyone's crying and feeling sad and that the girl was dead. But Jesus said, don't cry. She is not dead. She is only sleeping. And the story goes on uh, to highlight the fact that Jesus prayed for that girl and she uh, came alive again. So I just want to touch on some points from that all. Um, there were four, um, four kind of scenarios there. And the, and the first scenario is Jesus, Jesus got back into the boat. Where had Jesus been? He had been uh, across the other side of the lake. And some of you may know there was a man who the Bible records was filled with a legion of demonic forces and Jesus had healed him. So when the man uh, begged Jesus to go with him and Jesus said, no, go back and tell them what I did for you. That is who they're talking about. So, so Jesus had just released someone. He had just healed a person that was said to have had a legion. A legion was about 6,000 Roman soldiers. That's what it meant. And when they would talk about we're going to take a legion and go to battle, normally about 6,000 Roman soldiers. So what, what the picture that the Bible is painting is there were a whole lot 
of demonic forces, demons and, and powers over this man. And, and I've preached about this before, but he would uh, cry out through the night and cut himself. And, and uh, he was tormented day and night, 24-7, by these demonic forces. Jesus heals him of, of that and carries on across the lake. And then he's met by a multitude of people who were there waiting because they heard this guy called Jesus, who was going around the land, healing people, raising people from the dead, praying for the sick, praying for the blind, praying for the deaf, and everyone was getting healed. And so he gets back to where he's going, and there's a crowd there to see him because desperation and need is high in that region. And they had heard that there was a person that could work, um, who could overcome their issues. So Jairus is amongst that. Obviously, he's got one daughter and she's sick and he cries out to Jesus and Jesus goes with him immediately. And then it gets into the story I want to spend the time actually talking about, which is the lady, there was a lady who had been bleeding, hemorrhaging for 12 long years. And she heard that Jesus was coming. And I just want to talk about some points around that. And the first point is, it's, it's never too late. You know, when we're confronted with a situation, and this lady was confronted with a situation, she had been bleeding, hemorrhaging for 12 years. The Bible says that she had been to doctor after doctor after doctor. She had exhausted all the money that she had, and she was no better. In fact, the Bible says, instead of getting better, she got worse. Imagine bleeding for 12 years. It's an incredible thing. But the thing I love about this lady was she heard that Jesus was coming and she decided she was going to give it one more shot. She never gave up. And that is a great example to us. When we're in situations that seem bleak, situations that are difficult in that, we, sometimes we've just got to know that I need to give it another shot. I need to, I need to dig in a bit harder. Now, I know that sounds sometimes very easy, and some can say, yeah, you haven't really walked in my shoes. Um, you know, it's not as easy as you think. And I know there are some situations that are tremendously difficult, but in this situation, this lady found the strength to dig in and actually go and find Jesus. Now, it's interesting when you watch YouTube clips around the lady with the bleed and that, and, and I was watching one this morning. I was looking for one that I could show you. And I found this one, and it was really nice. It looked really kind of, well, they all look Jewish for a start. Um, they, it was a village with streets probably, you know, quite narrow like it would have been. And, and there was a guy that looked like we imagined Jesus would be, you know. He was a good-looking sort of Middle Eastern man. And, and, uh, and there was a lady, you know, he walked by, and she touched his hem. I mean, that's pretty good. That's kind of helps things along, doesn't it, when they actually do what they're meant to do. But when Jesus suddenly stops and says, who touched me? And, and his disciples say, there's truckloads of people around you. There's multitudes around you pressing in. In fact, some versions of the Bible actually say there were so many people that they were concerned they were going to get crushed. There were so many people. It was like a, a concert, you know, and you're at the front in the mosh pit and, and, and uh, just feeling like you're going to get squashed. And it was that scenario. But this film wasn't like that. It was like there were five people in the street 
and Jesus and his disciples and, they, and he walks past one lady and then he stops and says, who touched me? And his disciples say, Master, there's multitudes around you. And I looked and there's one person in the street. I thought, this isn't very good. It might, it might, not, might not look very good. But this woman actually was battling a whole crowd of people. That It says that there were multitudes in the street. Here is a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and she is walking along and probably not walking, probably stumbling in that. And she has somehow got to find the strength with masses traveling along with Jesus, trying to get ahead of him, trying to get catch up to him, uh, traveling alongside and that. She has try, got to try and muster the strength to push into a place where she can actually touch him. Because she thinks if I can just, I, I, I probably can't get ahead of him to actually be able to talk to him. I probably can't get invited to anywhere because she was, as I'll talk about in a minute, she was a social outcast. But she manages to get it to a point where if I can just get close enough that I can just reach out and just touch, maybe just the, the outer part of his garment, I will be healed. And it says that she did. Now, some pictures you see uh, on the internet and have, have this picture of the lady kind of crouching down and, you know, coming up behind him. And that, I don't think you do that when there's masses of people around because you'd be concerned about getting crushed. So again, it's interesting the way we sometimes do nice pictures and, and reenact things that probably weren't, weren't quite so. But she found the strength to actually come up and touch his garment. And it says that a world changed at that point. She immediately felt something had shifted. Something had changed and she was better. And Jesus felt something happened too, which is why he turned around and talked to her. The second point I want to highlight is everybody is a somebody. Everybody is a somebody. This was a woman who had had a bleed for 12 years. Under Levitical or the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, people who bled and had bleeds and, and all kinds of illnesses and that were actually considered spiritually unclean. And they actually weren't allowed to mix with the general population. In fact, she was, uh, after bleeding for 12 years, she would have been a total social outcast. <clears throat> no one would have wanted to have been with her. If she had a husband, he probably would have divorced her or left her. Her kids wouldn't have been with her because in, in that day, it was believed that you could actually, you had to be isolated or you could actually catch something spiritually off someone. In fact, there was a belief that if people had illnesses, often they were being punished for some kind of sin in their life. So there was kind of this, all these weird kind of stigmas going on. Oh, that's happening in your life. It must be sins of your fathers or sins of your you know, relatives or, or you've been doing something and God's punishing you. I think she had an illness so that, so that she could be healed and, and it could demonstrate the power of God. You know? and, and we live in a fallen world. Our bodies aren't perfect and things, we just get sick sometimes. It's not God punished her. It's not any of that stuff. It's just sometimes things don't work the way we think they should. But the thing I love about this is she was a somebody. Jesus stops to talk to her and when he figures out who it was and she comes and talks to him, 
He doesn't talk to her the way others talk to her. In the Bible, they don't even tell you what her name is. Was her name Sue? Was it Martha? Was it Bobby? We don't know. All it says is a, a woman with an issue of blood. But Jesus had a name for her. Do you know what he called her? Daughter. Daughter. She was someone very special to Jesus. And his behavior with her demonstrated that she was someone precious. She had done something that many hadn't done. She had believed when the chips were down and hope had failed. She believed and her faith had healed her and he honored that. Point three, chasing after Jesus is always a good decision. Chasing after Jesus is always a good decision. The best thing I've ever done in my life is chase Jesus. The worst thing I've ever done is chase what Dean Olsen wants or what someone else wants. And that God's, when we put God first in our lives and we, and we, you know, we look to live out what he wants in our lives. We live totally for him, for establishing the kingdom in that. It is always a good thing in our lives. It always goes better when we put God first and foremost in our lives. He will, you know, he works everything out in our lives. Everything goes better. Our career goes better. Opportunities go better. Doors open up that never would open up any other way. The right... Other doors close, and at the time we might think, oh, I don't understand, why did that door close? But God closes doors and opens doors. Often God can't close doors, open doors, until he's closed other doors. So sometimes he has to move us through things, and sometimes we can think, oh, I don't understand what's going on. But I love the saying, you know, it, when, when uh, there's a no, there's, it's often because there's a bigger yes up ahead. Uh, so we've just got to trust God, but... Chasing God through all these situations is always a good thing to be doing. This poor woman knew that if she chased Jesus, something could change. If I can just touch his outer garment, if I can just make contact with him and touch, you know, just any old part, my, my life will change. And it did. Point four. Touching the outer edge of Jesus can change your life. This woman wasn't the inner circle with Jesus. She wasn't part of his disciples in that. And that's one of the things I love about this uh, picture is the fact that Jesus was open to everyone. You know, Jesus would walk along the road and he would see um, someone up a tree, up a sycamore tree, and he'd call out to them, and no one knew who he was, but Jesus knew, you know. Does anyone remember who it was? Zacchaeus. Come down, Zacchaeus. We're going to have dinner at your place tonight. Jesus knew who people were. Jesus cared about people, who people were. I think Jesus knew who the woman was before she even identified herself. He was just giving her an opportunity to come forward and, and tell her story. I think Jesus could have figured out. In fact, I think Jesus probably knew who it was before she even touched him. 
that she would come up and she would touch him and power would go out. Jesus knew all that stuff, but he did it as a way of teaching people. And one of the things that I love is he was always compassionate with people. The only people who Jesus really got livid with and angry with were actually the religious people. Sinners, the people who who were lost, the people who were a long way away from God, God was compassionate with. But it was the religious people who thought they had God in a box, who thought they knew how God, how Jesus should behave, who thought they knew who he should hang out with, and that he was the one, uh, they were the ones that Jesus actually got toey with. And, uh, you know, often when I hear comments in the media that, uh, that are kind of from church leaders and, and hate, you know, kind of not, not wise and can be perceived as hateful and that, I think we forget that we need to look back and look, how did Jesus do it? You know, people wear bracelets. Um, what would Jesus do? Well, I have a different test. I look backwards and I say, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus behave? And when I need to make a decision, I'm always looking backwards and saying, what did Jesus do in the same kind of situation? Because if he's the, uh, you know, God in flesh, maybe I should take some, some of my steer from his wisdom because I sure don't have a whole lot compared to him. Touching Jesus can change your life. You know, the outer edge of Jesus, his garment, is not around anymore. It's gone. His cloak is gone. But one of the things when I think about it that I realize is his cloak still actually spiritually exists. Because I think we are meant to be his cloak today. I think we're Jesus' spiritual cloak. We are the ones that people can touch up against and they can be healed. Now, God always does that power, but I think we're the ones that Jesus is looking to actually be the ones that people come to, to tell their problems to, to, the, to bring their illnesses to, to get advice from. And so as much as Jesus healed then, I think we have the opportunity to bring light into people's world and still point them towards Jesus, point them towards God, because that is our job, isn't it? We don't need to lead people to the Lord. We've just got to point them to Jesus. It's up to Him. He's big enough to actually draw them. The Holy Spirit is big enough to draw them. You know, we had Russick here a couple of weeks ago, and he said that he was looking at other religions and everything, but the Holy Spirit kept speaking to him and drawing him, and he just couldn't, you know, he didn't, I think mentally he wasn't drawn to uh, follow Jesus, but the Holy Spirit just dogged him. It just wouldn't let him go, and it, and it arrested him, basically, and he ended up bowing his knee and giving his life to Christ. And, you know, all we got to do is get into people's lives and love them and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Speak to them when we get opportunities and, and love them, but love them, love them, love them. The world knows they're lost. People who are broken know they're broken. People who are in sin know they're in sin. People who are going to hell know they're going to hell. They don't need us to tell them all the time. We need to tell them there's a better way.
We need to tell them there's a God that cares. We need to tell them there's a Jesus who can turn the situation around, a Holy Spirit that can heal them. How does that sound? Sound good? It's good. So when we go to work or school or university or wherever we go tomorrow, how about we just pray that as we connect with people in that, that that the Holy Spirit would do a work. And then when they ask us about Jesus, we can just share about how He's a friend, how He journeys with us and that. We don't need to ram God down people's throats. We've just got to tell them what He's done in our lives. It's not very offensive, is it? Just telling them all the good stuff He's done in our lives. And they might just say, wow, do you think He could do that for me too? Yeah, I reckon he could. That's not offensive, is it? It's pretty chilled. You know, before I was a Christian, the people that brought me further to God, the people that shone were actually the people that were filled with love. I could tell they didn't judge me. They were connected with Christ. They had light in their lives. And they just had this extreme love that they just talked to me about. And they didn't dog me. They didn't say, you need to give your life. You're going the wrong way. You know? They just gave me love. And that drawed me to the source of what was, what was engaged in their lives. And that was God. So that's my message. And I'm going to move on to communion now because I really want us to f- focus on love as we come to the table this morning. You know, Jesus, he broke the bread and he gave the disciples wine and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And I think when the disciples probably thought back and, and uh, reconsidered their time with Jesus, three years with Jesus, I'll bet it was overwhelmed by love. I'll bet the one key thing that they remembered was a Messiah who just poured his heart out for everyone in every situation, regardless of how tidy they were, regardless of how messy they were. He just loved everyone. They weren't a woman with a 12-year bleed. She was a daughter. They They weren't tax collectors. They were people needing a doctor. And that's, I think, what we can bear in mind as we take communion this morning is the fact that we can be Jesus' arms to actually reach around people, give them a big hug spiritually and love them the way God wants us to love people. I think when we get that right, the church, people will say, that's the church. That's the church. That's the church I'm here to come into contact with. Yeah? So I'll pray and we can take communion communion is at both sides and then you can go and grab communion and come and sit down and and uh, take it in your own time so father we thank you god that uh, we have communion that it reminds us of jesus jesus said do this in remembrance of me and we and we remember a whole bunch of different things as we take communion but today we remember that jesus was a master of love we remember that you I love God, 
and that Jesus was love demonstrated in a human form for our sake. We thank you for that. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for your body that was broken. In Jesus' name, amen.